0: Ezra chapter six, I want to read a couple of verses and then I'll introduce where I'm headed this morning. Ezra chapter six, look with me if you will at verse 16. The children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the descendants of the captivity, this is in reference to the Babylonian captivity. For 70 years, Israel was in captivity in Babylon, which is now Iraq, at least portions of it. They celebrated the dedication of this house of God. How? With joy. Just understand they've been in captivity. They have now been released to go back home to Israel. They're building a temple. Ezra's building the temple. Nehemiah's building the wall. This is a great time for Israel. Go down with me at verse 22 and they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days, how? How? With joy. Do you know that that was work for some folk? I just wanna go back and say they celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy, verse 16, and they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy. Have you ever noticed that some things that make you happy don't last very long today? Does it ever seem like to you we have to almost strive to go from one happy place to another? Uh, Just making an observation. To seek joy, if we confine our view to our world today, especially in the physical or natural realm, Ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's perhaps little to be found to make us joyful. There's a lot of things troubling this old world. How many of you know that's true? But I believe it's imperative that the household of faith, I'm talking about you and I who have been saved, twice born, we should walk to a different drumbeat of those that are with, outside the commonwealth of salvation. Let me be very plain about it. If we are born again, our lives will be different than they were before. And God's always required a difference between those who are in Satan's camp and those who are in God's camp. There's a requirement. One of those is this. I think that one of the greatest witnessing tools we have is that of a joy the world can't give and the world can't take away. Joy, Pastor, it should be one of our main elements of witness. This word joy, joyful, joyous, joyfulness in some form is found in several hundred times through scripture. The idea of, the presence of, can I say the power of joy is important to God for God's people. Because through that joy, God has said, you will maintain the strength you need to do whatever is necessary. So listen how important it is. Without joy, there's no strength. And it's about a relationship. In Deuteronomy 28, I want to make make you understand very quickly, under the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, Israel had promised in that covenant to obey God as they did in every covenant and every time they broke their word. but in this covenant though in Deuteronomy, Israel had promised to obey and serve God with their whole heart and in return for that God said, I will give you blessings abundant. I will cause many things to bless you but If they didn't obey, God said, I will withdraw my blessing because you have actually said, if you wanna read it, go to a few chapters earlier, they said, cursed we will be if we do not have only God before us. And they went through the 10 Commandments. They literally, because of their disobedience, placed a curse on them. How many of you are glad we are not under that covenant? Oh my Lord, thank God. But, but listen to this. God said he'd withdraw his blessings and those curses would come. I'm, I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 28. I wanna read verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. Verse 47 is important. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy. Because you did not serve the Lord, your God, with joy and gladness of heart. I want to just stop and tell you, this thing called salvation is not just some law and not something mechanical. This is all about the body and the soul and the spirit being in relationship and affectionate to and in a great fellowship with God himself. What I'm saying is when you come to Christ, it's not some mechanical, mathematical slide rule thing. It is a relationship that you begin with God. How many of you are glad it's more than just mechanics? And so you did not serve with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. God had kept his word. Thank God we are not under that covenant. Yet I want to say something to this world 2021. We have great need of God's joy in our lives. We have great need of God's joy in our life. I'm talking about God's joy and how we need it. I want to notice something. If joy is important to God, and it is, know this that the devil will do everything he can to rob every believer of the joy. Why? Because the joy of God, I said it a while ago, the joy of God is the absolute, supernatural, spiritual, devil-defying strength and power that we maintain to defeat the enemy. He will do everything he can to destroy any joy in your life. The psalmist David, I love to read this. The psalmist David over in Psalm 51. Most of you, if you know the scripture, David had sinned in a great measure with Bathsheba and he had not repented. The prophet came and said, you're the man and David fell on his face and you hear, you hear this deep repentance of soul. You hear the anguish of someone who knows that he has failed God and he uses words like this, Wash this. He said, wash me, purge me, Create in me a clean heart. And then he went on to say, make me to hear joy and gladness. And he said, restore unto me the joy of your salvation in me. Ladies and gentlemen, when you pray a prayer like that, you're after the whole package of a relationship that's right with God again. And I love, I love to hear the passion that he comes to God with. And, And the very first verse, I've said it so many times, when, Satan had, when, when David had sinned and Satan had come in like a flood and tried to destroy his kingdom and his rulership and his life that God had appointed him to. And you'll be the object of the enemy too if you try to do what God asks you to do. But listen, after he had failed, I love this. The very first verse in Psalm 51 gives us a great insight the only attribute of God by which David had any standing at all. And I say this for your benefit and mine and all of you who are lost or all of you who have failed the Lord. Notice David's powerful words, Psalm 51, have mercy. That's the greatest attribute of God that he could, and watch this, he said, have mercy upon me, oh God, because there are some things only God can do. And only God can forgive sin. Only God's paid the price for that sin. And here he is, not only seeking God in a sense of wash me and purge me, but let me know that joy again, because David knew he had lost his joy because he had sinned. A good question today, I think for us is this, what makes you joyful? What makes you joyful? I'm not talking about a a worked up joy. I'm not talking about a contrived joy. I'm not talking about an emotional manipulation. Let me remind us that Galatians five in the New Testament says that joy is a fruit of the spirit and that is of God himself within us. So if you're sitting here and you're listening online today and you know this birth, this second birth of God, God has placed in us that joy. And that joy should be part and parcel of every experience we have, good or bad. Boy, you shouted me down then, didn't you? As a fruit of the Spirit, I will say this. If we are truly what we profess to be and truly what the scripture has said, this joy will be displayed in our living. So let me give you some background. Here's where we're gonna go through some scripture. I'll try to do this chronologically and and as as simply as I can. Israel has disobeyed the covenant like they did. They were taken to Babylonian captivity for 70 years. I've said before, Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. Ezra is assigned to rebuild the temple. In chapter one of Ezra, Cyrus is the king at the beginning. He proclaimed freedom to return to Jerusalem to rebuild that temple. And let me just say this. The reason that God actually gave favor to the kings of Israel while they were 70 years, because they began to obey and they lived things out in front of that pagan kingdom and God actually gave them favor and he even used the heart of the king, we'll see that later, to rebuild everything that was torn. So, Chapter one, Cyrus is the king. He says, you have freedom to return, rebuild the temple. Chapter two, it's a list of names of all the leaders, the priests, the prophets, all the servants that were to return to make all that happen. I heard one commentator say the second chapter of Ezra is a list of many, many, many names. You do not want to name your children. (laughs) I'm telling you, there are some strange names in Ezra 2. You don't believe it, just go try to pronounce all of them. And I'm glad I'm not going to read it, aren't you? Chapter 3, the foundation of the temple was laid. Can I say it was laid identical to that which was Solomon's temple that had been destroyed? Now it was going to all be rebuilt this second time. And watch this, we'll come back to it later. Something happened. I'm gonna be in chapter three uh, of, of Ezra and I wanna to read to you a couple of verses. Just look at human nature in these two, chap- these two verses. Chapter three, I'll begin at verse 11. Meaning Israel, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, that's what they said, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted, with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, meaning Solomon's temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many, and meaning them, shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard afar off. Pastor, what are you trying to point out? I just wanna show you that there were greatly mixed emotions at the same event. And some of them, we'll, we'll pick this up in a moment, some of them were weeping Some of them were shouting, but the noise was so loud, you couldn't tell which was what. We're gonna come back to it in a minute. Chapter four then came great opposition. Young people, ladies and gentlemen, the devil will always try to discourage us in every move we make. And here in chapter four, the whole progress of rebuilding the temple was stopped, shut down. Chapter five, God raised up prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. These priests, God purposely put in their heart and they literally went to Israel in Jerusalem and said, let's get busy, let's get on with God's plan, let us complete the temple. Aren't you glad there's some people who are always positive even when there's great opposition? And the governor, the governor, Tat and I, we can read it in 3B if you want to look, and that's chapter five, chapter three, the last portion. He literally said this, who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? This is the governor, this pagan leader. Who's given you that permission? I'd like to say that like this. Who in the world has issued a billing permit for this? Yeah. <laughs> Who's done that? In verse 13, Now Cyrus was king, he made the decree. We read it a while ago. You go build that, and Cyrus is gone, and now Darius is the king. Lots of folk here. So in verse 17, if you want to look in chapter five, they said literally this. Let's research Cyrus's records to see if he gave the Jews permission to rebuild. Then we come to chapter six, verse one. Then King Darius issued a decree, and a search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. Verse three, two verses later, they found that Cyrus did decree permission, so they were back to building. Here's something I want to note in these details. Make it applicable today in our lives. God used Ezra and Nehemiah. He used Jeremiah. He used several prophets. Haggai, Zacharias, he used all the construction workers, he used all that. And everybody was used accordingly to complete God's desire and God's command. But notice this, but God used Cyrus and Darius just as he used his own prophets. I wanna say something to you in 2021. We need to keep the big picture in mind and not just what's troubling us. I want to read again our text verse, chapter, verse 22 of 16. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work in the house of God, the God of Israel. Don't just let that pass you. I I wanna ask you the question. We just read it. Who made Israel to be joyful? Who made Israel to be joyful? Is this still on the screen? Who made Israel to be joyful? It says the Lord made Israel to be joyful. If we were to turn a few pages back to Second Chronicles 20, verse 27, we would read something like this. And they returned every man to Judah and Jerusalem to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord made them rejoice over their enemies. There's the Lord making them rejoice again. If you went a few page further, forward to Nehemiah, chapter 12, verse 43, it says, Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off, just like we read in Ezra's thing, in Ezra's record. I want to look at this word, the Lord made them rejoice. In Hebrew, it's amad. It means to join. It means to indwell. It means to ordain. It means to initiate. And here's the simple English phrase I would like to put there. God stirred joy inside his people. It was a fruit of the Spirit. And when God indwells you, that fruit eventually will come out but how, and this is all introduction to get to the message, you ready? How, God made them joyful by first of all what they saw and by what they knew. By what they saw and by what they knew. If we were to travel over into Matthew when the coming of the Messiah came, if we would go to Matthew two and 10, we're all familiar, the wise men came and the scripture records they rejoiced with what? exceeding, I wish we could get some in this room this morning, help me say this, they rejoice with, I wish we could get some joy in this place this morning, they rejoice with, I give up, (laughs) here's why, because of what they saw, they saw the star. They knew this was true and they they rejoiced because of what they knew. God's Messiah after 4,000 years of prophecy had arrived and they were the ones that were going to see it. Quickly, three things. You guys will be proud of me. Three points, homiletically correct today. They were joyful because they saw God's protection. In chapter six, verse seven, Darius is king now, and he said, listen to what he said if you wanna read it, let the work of this house of God alone. You know what that means in plain language? Let them build this temple. Hands off, I command it, leave Israel alone, let them rebuild that temple and that wall. And listen, let me tell you, God means what he says. If If you read verse 11, the God, he threw this king to rise. He, he said to the Babylonians, if you hinder, verse 11, also I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let him be hanged on it. And let his house be made a refuge heap because of this. I want to tell you something, that shivers me Timbers. I want to tell you something, I believe God means what he says and says what he means. And here old Darius said, if anybody hinders this people from doing what I have said, take a a post out of their house, put it in the ground, erect it, I don't want that man who disobeys this decree, who challenges Israel to be hanged. I want to tell you something, God intended for that wall in Jerusalem and that temple in Jerusalem to be built and nothing was gonna stop that. I wanna tell you something. God intends for you and I to land in the kingdom of a heavenly home, not made by hands. And if we'll stay in relationship and experience the fruit of the spirit of joy in our lives, God's gonna see that nothing hinders us. I want you to know I'm sure of my salvation today. Wow, he went on to verse 13 and said, <laughs> at least they finally got it. I wish we could get this truth across to this generation that whatever God says, do it. That's what, that's what Mary said, Jesus said, do this. But we would become so self-centered, we want to argue even with God. But I want, to know, know, I want you to know something. Back then authority meant something and law meant something, which is what Satan's trying to destroy in this nation today. Trying to destroy our laws. Listen, if you don't have laws, you don't have civility. And I don't know what you people who are trying to defund the police and trying to destroy all that, I don't know what you think it's gonna come to, but I tell you what, when somebody comes and pulls a gun on you, call a counselor. Call somebody that's gonna do that. Okay, I I took a curve here. I just wanted, if we don't have laws, we don't have a society. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Listen to this verse 13. And they, meaning the Babylonians, did diligently according to what King Darius had decreed. I like it when people who are in charge that are on God's side say it and mean it. Those are heroes. Ladies and gentlemen, 2021, hear me. We the people of the cross are here Today, on this planet, in this date, this dispensation, this decade, we are here because God has decreed that we be here. And we are here in the midst of last day activity because God has a purpose for every one of us. They saw God's God's protection. Secondly, they saw God's provision, verse 8. I'm in... Chapter six, verse eight. Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews, for the building of this house of God. Watch this, this is a pagan nation, a pagan country, pagan king. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. This is to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. I want to tell you, when God gets ready to finance something, he might even use the pagan coin. Wow. It's not so much the coin as it is the, the power of God. It's a, it's a, and and I, That's verse eight, and I just want you to, I, I'm going to skip some more that he says. I'll read it in a minute, but in verse 10, basically he said this. The taxes, all of it will be at the expense of the king, because of the taxes of that region. And in the end of verse 10, he simply says this, just pray for me and my sons that I don't want us to miss the power of those words. Here is a national leader. Here is a person that is with great responsibility and he says to his nation, I am confident in the prayers of Jehovah's people. 2020 Christians in this house and all over this globe online, we are responsible to live in a manner whereby even a pagan world has confidence in what we believe and our prayers. They saw God provide. God, secondly in this point is this, God is a God of plenty. I want to read verse nine. And listen to this, this is in the middle. He said, taxes will pay it. He said, pray for me and my sons. In between he said, and whatever they need, young bulls, revs, watch this. Don't miss the spiritual significance of this. He just said all the money, all the materials, but he said, "Whatever they need—young bulls, rams, lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of Heaven; wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem—let it be given them day by day, without." God not only provided the material things, he provided the things that they needed so that they could sacrifice the very things to God. This man doesn't even believe in this religion, but he supplies not only the material things, but the worship things. And if you want to know on later, all that, when they went into captivity, all the, The elements that was in the temple, the chalice, the the trays, the gold, all the trumpet, all those things, some 5,000, I think, items that were taken and put in the king's treasury in Babylon, when they got this complete, he gave it all back to Israel. I want to tell you something, when God decides he's going to do something, he's going to do something. Boy, this is like walking through some holy ground here. Materials for the construction, yes. And animals and sacrifices to worship God. Ladies and gentlemen, America, let me say something. Look how God has provided for us. We are sitting here, the envy of the world. How blessed are, have we been in America? We have been blessed and blessed and blessed. But I wanna go back now and recall this mixed emotions in chapter three. Why did they have mixed emotions? What, why the difference? And I wanna note something that's important for us today. The difference in those mixed emotions in the human response then and even today Some of those people focused on what they did not have. Others focused on what they did have. And we live in America in the Western Hemisphere in a wilderness of want. Doesn't matter what it is, we want more. And it doesn't matter how much we get, we want what we want and more and we want it now. There's a, there's an advertisement on television. I see it every once in a while. They run it about four or five months and then come back four or five months. And I just, the good singers, I just don't like this ideology. It's something like a company, and they should pay me for saying this. It's it's Wentworth, J, J.T. Wentworth. Uh, I want my money and I want it now. How many of you have heard that song? Good voices, I mean opera. I I, I can't remember the jingle now, but it's something like, it's mine and I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. I look back and I go, you're so thin. (laughs) Forgive me. It's all we think about. Here, mixed emotions. Here's a human yet a spiritual discipline. Joy comes when you see God's provision. What he has what he has done for us and what he has, that's what we see and what he has promised us that which we know. Saints 2021, let us see God's provision for us. I just, I just want to, I'm just turning to Ephesians 1. You don't have to do this. Just listen. How many of you are Christians in this room? All of you online, listen to this. If you don't think God hadn't provided for us, listen to what Paul wrote in a prison, one of the prison epistles, in Ephesians 1. I'm just gonna touch it. God the Father blessed us with the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing. Verse three, verse seven. We have redemption through his blood, through his forgiveness, which he has made abound toward us, verse eight. and verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Verse 15, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you in my prayers that God, our Christ Lord, for his glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Verse 18, understanding. Know what hope of his calling and the riches of his glory and the exceeding greatnesses of his power toward us. Get to the verse 22. He is head over all things. He has put all things under his feet. And we are the church. We are his body. He has furnished us with everything we need. God has provided us with everything we need to get to the glory world. Praise his name. (laughs) (laughs) thirdly and lastly they saw God's providence well let me show something about providence yes it means providing as we just talked about but there's also a providence meaning that it is God's special care that is done for his people and it probably most the time not seen with the naked eye Behind the scenes of all the tangible and physical view, God worked through the leaders, I mentioned it a while ago, of that nation. Our text, verse 22 said, he turned the hearts of the king. And in chapter seven, now we have a new king. We went from Cyrus to Darius and now it's Xerxes. A new king, I wanna read you verse 27 of seven. Blessed be the Lord, this is is Ezra's response to Xerxes' decree, let them go, let them finish. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. It was completed, and God turned the king's heart to make it happen. All through 70 years, I want to declare to you that God worked his plan. Yes, through the prophets. Yes, through the priests. Yes, through rank and file of the followers. But perhaps the biggest miracle that God did for that nation, that time, God turned the hearts of pagan, heathen kings. I want to stop and tell you something important. Ladies and gentlemen, Jehovah Yahweh God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in what we call this last day, which I personally believe is from the time of Christ's resurrection, his ascension, to the time he returns. Those are the last days. I believe we're in the last of the last days. I just want us to remember something. That God for 70 years through this nation worked his plan. And I want you to be encouraged today in 2021. God is working His plan as we speak. And I know that at many times it seems like Satan is the, in the ascendancy and it seems like Satan and evil and corruption and vileness and wickedness rule. I just want you to understand that God is in control of the King's hearts. And ladies and gentlemen, if you and I will stay faithful, we will have God's joy and we will finish like Israel did back to Jerusalem. Genuine joy, genuine fruit of the spirit. Here's the message. It comes when we live, when we live as if God is in control. Let's make a profession today. How many of you believe God is in control? I want to tell you, don't ever doubt it. Let me see your hand again. If you're in this room and you can't raise that hand, I ask you to do your first works. God's in control. God's in control. And I just want to say it's one thing to quote that, God's in control. It's another thing thing to sing that, but needed this hour more than any time is believers full of joy because God is in control and God is on the throne. Church, believers, God directs, God encourages, God promises, and with God, hear it again, there are no emergencies. There's no nervous breakdowns. There's no panic. I wanna say it like this. I preached a message years ago in the old church, probably 25 years ago, in this title, Everything is All Right in the Father's House, because the Father's house rules the universe. Matthew Henry, great minister of a day gone by, said this, quote, all our joy must terminate in God, end quote. I'm gonna say this and I'll be through. If we were to turn to the New Testament epistle of Paul called Philippians, there's four chapters. Some commentators that I read say there's 11 times Paul talked of joy in those four chapters. Some of them say there's 19. Whether it's 11 or 19, it's quite a bit in four chapters talking about joy. This is one of the Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, prison epistles. But listen, to the Philippians he said, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. But I want you to hear me clearly. It was not because of circumstance. He had been beaten. He and Silas had been bludgeoned. (laughs) The blood had dried on their backs, probably their hair dried in it, their feet and their arms were in stocks where they couldn't move. They were put in prison. And at midnight, Paul and Silas practiced exactly what they preached. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice, and the word records that they begin to sing at midnight. I wanna tell you, I think there's something awful sweet about a song that comes out of a soul when it's in the worst circumstance you could imagine. I think it was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I read the book Gulag Archipelago years ago. He would stare through that darkened prison in one little hole through the concrete and he made some statement like this. I saw one blade of grass through that little bitty hole with the sun shining on it and for that reason and that reason is enough that I believe in an eternal God. I want us to have that kind of mindset. Here he is, in prison, he sings. Watch this, if we read it, the scripture says, all the prisoners heard it, all the prisoners heard it, all the guards heard it. And I'm finishing, listen to this, when joy comes from God and it's in us, it'll come out. And when it comes out, ladies and gentlemen, it will affect the whole prison. And I wanna tell you something, the true joy of God in your life will affect the whole prison site tr- trying to build no matter where it is. It'll affect your house, it'll affect your marriage, the joy of God will affect your job, it will affect every circumstance and every situation you're in. Even if the doctor gives you a bad report, I wanna tell you something, there is a joy. There is a joy that the world does not understand. And God wants to see that in this late hour. So I'm gonna ask you a question, how's your joy? Is it tied to the internet? Is it tied to a newscast? Is it tied to the stock market? Is it tied to mood swings? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm through. If we live as if God is in control, the joy of the Lord will permeate us. It will show, it will appear, and it will be a witness. And here's the genuine part of it. If God indwells you and the spirit appears and the joy comes, that is the strength that God gives us regardless of circumstance. Wednesday night, I spoke about how Christians handle their problems. The world mourns, the world can get desperate, they can do horrendous things because they get out of control. But I want to tell you something. When Satan comes in like a flood and Satan attacks the people of God, you know how we, you know how we get that changed? You know how we do that? You know how we handle that? weep